0: Today, we continue as we look into this ancient book of Leviticus, which takes place in a different culture, takes place in a different time, it takes place with different theological understandings, and yet God is revealing Himself, even in the ancient times. God is revealing Himself, disclosing Himself, that He is a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger abounding in steadfast love. Today, the passage that we look at comes from the section of Leviticus on sin offerings, and yet what I want to point out today is not so much the offering as it is that God enables anyone who wishes to come to come, whether they can afford the usual offering or not. We often think of the Old Testament in terms of law and the New Testament in terms of grace. And yet we often think this way erroneously. The law of Leviticus says, here's what happens if you have committed a sin and yet at the same time, the law of Leviticus says, if you cannot provide a sheep or a goat, then there's an alternative. And if you cannot afford even that... There is an alternative yet. We often think in terms of law and grace in the Old Testament and we often think of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth as as law. And yet an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is grace. It means if someone knocks out your tooth, you cannot in return take their life. If someone steals your chicken, you cannot, in return, burn down their house. Justice is to be served proportionally. And so, we look here at this ancient law. When any of you sin and that you have heard a public adjuration to testify, and though able to testify as one who has seen or heard the matter, does not speak up, you are subject to punishment. Or when any of you touches an unclean thing, whether the carcass of an unclean beast or the carcass of unclean livestock or the carcass of an unclean swarming thing and are unaware of it, if you become unclean, you have become unclean and are guilty. Or when you touch human uncleanness, any uncleanness by which one can become unclean, And are unaware of it, when you come to know it, you shall be guilty. Or when any of you utter aloud a rash oath for a bad or a good purpose, whatever people utter in an oath and are unaware of it, when you come to know it, you shall in any of these be guilty. When you realize the guilt of any of these, you shall confess the sin that you have committed. And you shall bring to the Lord as your penalty for the sin that you have committed a female from the flock, a sheep or a goat, as a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement on your behalf for your sin. But if you cannot afford a sheep, you shall bring to the Lord as a penalty for the sin that you have committed two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. Fast forward to verse 11. But if you cannot afford two turtle doves or two pigeons, you shall bring as your offering for the sin you have committed one tenth of an ephah of choice flour for a sin offering. You shall not put oil on it or lay frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. Let us pray. Lord, now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing. And acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock, and you are our mighty Redeemer, and it is in your name that we pray. Amen and Amen. Eric Schlosser's book. And then movie, Fast Food Nation, exposed some of the dark side of the fast food industry. And at one point, Schlosser described a food production plant that runs 24 hours a day, 310 days a year, turning potatoes into french fries. And I've got to admit, I want one of these at home. There is a conveyor belt that takes the clean, wet potatoes into a machine that blasts them with steam for 12 seconds. Then they're boiled in water under their skins, and then they're finally exploded so that their skins just come right off of the potatoes. Then the potatoes are pumped into a preheat tank and shot through a lamb water gun knife. They emerge as shoestring french fries. Then, four video cameras scrutinize these shoestring French fries from different angles, and artificial intelligence sees when there is a flaw or a blemish in one of the French fries. And if there is a flaw or a blemish there is this air gun underneath the conveyor belt that shoots at just the right strength in just the right direction to knock the blemished fry off of the first conveyor belt and make it fall on the second conveyor belt. The second conveyor belt also has artificial intelligence It sees where there is a problem with the french fry and these electronic knives take over from there that cut off all of the stains, all of the problem with the french fry and then dump the newly perfected french fry back on the ordinary initial production line. Then the french fries are sprayed with hot water to blanch them. There's gusts of dry air that dry them, and then 25,000 pounds of boiling oil fries them to a slight crisp. Air that is cooled by ammonia gas quickly freezes them, and then a computerized sorter divides them into six-pound batches. And then they are thrown on this device like a lazy Susan gone insane. Which uses centrifugal force to align the French fries so that they're all pointed in the same direction. Then they're sealed in brown bags. The brown bags are loaded by robots into cardboard boxes. The boxes are stacked by more robots onto wooden pallets. And the end goal millions and millions of French fries that look and taste exactly the same. In our french fries, we want uniformity. In our food experiences, we want to be able to go somewhere in Lexington and go somewhere in Minneapolis, and it's going to taste the same conveniently good. We want uniformity, and yet God has willed in his great mercy a diversity within unity God knows that you and I are not all alike God knows that you and I are different in many ways God knows that one size does not fit all we differ in our resources what it is that we have to give what it is that we have to take care of. We differ in the amounts that are in our bank accounts, the energy that we wake up with in the morning, the things that we can offer to other people. We're different, and God understands these differences. We differ in our physical abilities. Some of us can do things that others cannot I remember back in the old Covington District, the Ida Spence Mission there had an annual fundraiser. And that fundraiser meant that pastors baked cakes and then lay people bid on those cakes to make money for Ida Spence Mission for the coming year. I baked a cake. Unfortunately, I I shelled some pecans to put in that cake, and a lot of the shells got in my cake somehow, And I was told that I didn't need to bake a cake again in the future. Some people have that ability, that physical ability to bake cakes. Others can work on HVAC systems. Now, I'm not bad sometimes at diagnosing what's wrong, especially the newer models that blink three times if it's one thing and blink six times if it's another. But I don't want to... I don't want to take things apart, especially when there's fire and gas involved. That's just not my thing. I don't know enough about it in order for, my, for, for me to do the, the good job that I want to do. God knows that we're not all alike in intellectual capacity. Some of us can remember things from long, long ago, Ezekiel 5.3. Pull it up from your seventh grade Bible school class and suddenly you recognize what it is and you just remember it and you don't ever forget. Others can remember names like nobody's business. Bishop Morgan, no relation. When I first came to Kentucky, someone said to you, you will meet Bishop Morgan. He will see your face and no matter when he sees you for the remainder of his life, he will be able to call you by name. Bishop Morgan and I do not have the same ability, the intellectual ability to remember names. We differ in our spare time. Some of you have reached the retirement age and are busier than you have ever been in life. Some of you have reached retirement age and you wish you had a few more things to do, and you find the things to do and take advantages of opportunities that are put before you. I don't have a whole lot of spare time. Um, in the past week, it's been it's been wonderful. The uh, Admiral soccer team won regionals, and the Admiral soccer team will be going on to state beginning Tuesday. There's still football going on every day that I left church this past week. uh, I left, went straight somewhere, and came back between 9.30 and 11.15 at night. Not a whole lot of spare time in my life right now, but there might be in yours. God knows we are not all alike. There are specific gifts that God gives some people. That others do not have. Some of you can sing. Some of you can bake. Some of you can see. You can recognize from across a room when someone feels alone. Some of you have the gift of encouragement and can take someone who is down back up to at least an average level, if not something much, much more. God accepts What we have to give. God accepts what we have to give. Now, in the Old Testament, what it was that God accepted of those who came to worship him uh, might have been a sheep or a goat. But God knows that not everybody has the same ability to offer the same gift. And so, if you can't bring a sheep or a goat... You can bring a turtle dove or a pigeon and if a turtle dove or a pigeon is too much then you can bring a handful of choice flour. God asks of us that which we can give. God doesn't ask you to bring a set of gifts that you don't have. God doesn't ask for you to offer to the church and service to his kingdom, things that are beyond your capacity, God asks you to give. In the New Testament, this idea of giving what we have comes with whole life implications. Our New Testament lesson, if the eagerness is there, did you catch this? If the eagerness is there the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. If the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has. I was in a church one time where Wednesday evenings were struggling. In fact, Wednesday evenings had been a big thing in the past and At that time, there were maybe 14 or 15 people showing up on a Wednesday evening. And a dear saint of God made an appointment and came to see me one day. And she said, Pastor, I have to tell you that there are a lot of people in this church that can write a big check to the church and help fund the ministries of the congregation. She said, I can't do it. There are a lot of people who have the gift of teaching who can start a class, who can lead a class, who can bring people together for a specific purpose. She said, Pastor, I can't do it. She said, what I can do is I can cook. And I can cook not just for a small number of people, but I can cook for a large number of people. And if you'll let me, we can change Wednesday nights. We took about two months to, to process what she thought she could do, to come up with some educational opportunities on Wednesday for not just children and youth, but, but for adults too. We kept on doing the old thing until it was time to turn over and do the new thing. The week before we turned over and did the new thing, we had 14 or 15 people on Wednesday night. When she began cooking her meatloaf, we had 70 the first week, probably 80 or so the second week, and that never really let, let off for the remainder of the time that I served that church. If the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Listen to how Paul puts it in Romans. In Romans he says as in one body we have many members and not all the members have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ. And individually we are members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us prophecy in proportion to faith ministry in ministering the teacher in teaching the exhorter in exhortation the giver in generosity the leader in diligence the compassionate in cheerfulness hear me dear friends Whatever God has given you to bring is enough. Whatever God has given you to bring to the life of faith, to this life of repentance, forgiveness, and growth, whatever God has given you to bring, it is enough. Whatever resources you have, whether you have spare time, what you can do that no one else can do, whether you are strong, have a particular area of wisdom or expertise, whatever God has given you to bring is enough. When a person joins the United Methodist Church There is a pledge that we take. As members of this congregation, do you pledge faithfully to support this local congregation with your prayers, with your presence, with your gifts, with your service, with your witness? These are our vows of membership in the United Methodist Church. Will you pray for the church For those who are sick and those who are hurting. For ministries to flourish. Will you pray that God will use this church to be a light in the community of Danville with rays that spread out all throughout the world? Will you faithfully support the church with your presence being here It's always somewhat amusing and somewhat sad when I have served a church for two and a half years and I encounter someone in the community who says, yeah, I'm a member of that church, been a member of that church for 35 years. And the smart-alecky part of me wants to say, then why have I never seen you? At my best, I'll say something like, well, I would love to see you again. Your presence, being a part of worship and study and fellowship. Your gifts. The church has needs, and we as human beings have needs to acknowledge that everything we have is a gift from God. I don't mind telling you that I believe in tithing and have tithed since I was a teenager. My base salary divided by 10 should be what my giving statement says at the end of the year. And if it doesn't, then I'm going to write another check. I believe in giving to the church because God has been incredibly generous with me. Now, I'm not telling you how much you should give, but I am asking you Not just to give because the offering plate is coming around. But I'm asking you to give what God calls you to give. And to ask God with an open heart, what is it that you would have me do to support the church? Your service. Now, I've been through a lot of firsts in Danville at Centenary. My my first single parent oil change, uh, my first little cherubs, my first tailgate Sunday. There are a lot of ways that we can serve here in the church and in the community, and those who have made a commitment to centenary have, have answered this question. I will faithfully serve, whether that service is putting together Operation Christmas Child boxes whether that service is writing to missionaries. We serve the living God. We serve the God who has given us every blessing that we have. We've also pledged to be a witness in our community. You'll notice if you get behind me or if you look at the back of my car, there is not a little Christian fish symbol on the back of my car. I'm not opposed to the little Christian fish symbol in any way. But somebody might rear-end me. And there's a lot of pressure if somebody rear-ends you and hits the Christian fish. There's a lot of pressure for you to respond in a way that does not betray who you hope to be as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, honestly, I hope there would be no difference if I had a Christian fish or if I didn't. I hope that my witness as a person of faith and as someone who ran into the back of somebody else not long ago, you know, I get it. I get it. Our witness in our workplace, our witness in our families our witness in the community, our witness when nobody else is watching. Whatever God has given you, it's enough. God does not ask more of you than he has given you, but God asks that we bring what we can to worship To serve, to love, what God has given you to bring is enough.